Hey friends, welcome to the Redeemer Queens Park podcast. Redeemer exists to connect Jesus to people, people to community, and community to mission. We meet Saturdays at four o'clock at Salisbury Primary School in Queens Park. If you have any questions, just give us a shout at hello at redeemerqp.com or check us out online at redeemerqp.com. Now, let's listen to another one of our Bible talks. We're in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 34. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying at a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown to the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is the word of God. Thank you, James. Um, you see me uh, fumbling around up here like I don't know what's going on. Um, it's because my son uh, gave me a bunch of plastic cups before I came up here, and I forgot to throw those away, so I'll just be carrying those in my pocket as we go through this. Matthew chapter 6, 19 to 34, wonderfully read for us. Let me just, uh, let me just explain what we are doing right here and what we're not doing right here. I think this could be just really, really helpful, especially make sure you can hear my heart uh, before you can hear anything else in this today, right? Um, what, what, what are we doing? It's uh, two weeks after Easter. Easter is usually that time of refresh and re- rebirth and renewal, and we're just trying to get caught up in that as a faith family. So as a Christian community, we're thinking, like, what does Easter look like in our lives? So we're taking these two weeks here right after Easter to think about that theme of Jesus coming in first place in our lives. So last week, we considered the theme of uh, first things first, coming right off of Easter. This afternoon is kind of like part two of what got started last week. Hearing Jesus teach us what it means to seek first. Yeah? 
Now, if, uh, if, if you're not a Christian and you made your way in here uh, today, let me, let me just say a few things specifically to you, and then I'll, I'll address the, the Christian or the church that's in the room, right? Um, if, if you're not a Christian, you come in here. Uh, we don't talk about money each and every week as a faith family. Also, want you to hear it from me up front today. Uh, we don't want anything from you, right? We want you to hear about this God that I'm about to talk about. I'm about to talk about this God more than I'm going to talk about money. And we want you to think about him. And we want you to give him your heart. We want you to give him your faith. That's what we want like from you this afternoon. But uh, if, unless you were to get stuck in in this community and this become like your routine spiritual filling station where you come by and you get poured into and you get built up and you get taken care of, um, th- this, this does not apply uh, to you. Now, um, what does apply to you in here, the principles that we're going to talk about, it's very possible that the very things that are discussed here this afternoon from such a seemingly awkward first impression of a new church uh, could be the very thing that could relieve you of so much worry and anxiety you've been carrying around. So I just want you to have that and I want you to think about that. Uh, for, the, for the church this afternoon, okay, for the people that are week in, week out, like Redeemer is my place, this is my church home, these are my people, this is the place that cares for me spiritually and leads me spiritually. A few things from you here, right? Continuing with what we said last week want you to know like this is not a capital campaign we are not raising funds today there are no commitment cards i'm not going to ask you to fill anything in this week or next week like none, none of that's going on this is reflecting on easter this is thinking about our hearts this is asking the question does god come in first in our lives or not and if he doesn't then what does and let's get eyes on that but to move towards that we got to listen to jesus And when we listen to Jesus, we hear Jesus say things like this. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So that's Jesus. That's Jesus who is first. That's Jesus who went first. That's Jesus who is worthy to come in first place in every dimension of our lives. And yet we got to listen to Jesus because Jesus knows something about our hearts. He created our hearts. The Bible tells us, cover to cover, is telling this story. Specifically last week we saw in Colossians chapter 1, He's the creator and He's the sustainer of everyone and everything. So Jesus knows how our hearts work. He knows how we're put together because He put us together. And when it comes to our hearts, Jesus knows our hearts crave security. We're longing for it. We're thinking about it. It's as if our head is constantly running all these computer calculations. How can I be safe? How can I make myself safe? It's just what we do. And our hearts crave it. We long for it. We want it. Go to bed thinking about security and safety. Wake up thinking about security and safety. This is what our hearts want. And Jesus knows this. That's why when Jesus was on this earth, Jesus talked about prayer some 500 times from the Gospels. Jesus talked about faith some 500 times. And amazingly, Jesus talked about money and possessions over 2,000 times. Now, what in the world is the Savior of the world doing Talking about money and possessions 
more than he talked about prayer and faith combined. What's he doing? What's he doing when he spends 16 of 38 short stories called parables? 16 of 38 parables are about money and possessions. What's going on there? Well, the thing is, Jesus doesn't need anything from us. As we're going to see here in a minute, he owns it all anyways. He doesn't need anything from you. He doesn't need anything from me. Jesus cares for our hearts. And he knows they crave security. So Jesus is constantly bringing up money and he's constantly bringing up possessions and he's constantly trying to walk with people, talking about it more than prayer, talking about it more than faith because he wants people to understand how this particular issue can be a real issue for us in our hearts. So there would be a way we could hear what's next and be a bit guarded. Oh, we're talking about money. We're not talking about money. We're talking about our hearts. Talking about what comes in first in your life. In studying these last two weeks, I've had to ask myself some questions, like by myself alone, like what comes first for me? As a church community, we're only spend two weeks here. So Jesus is coming in first in our hearts. He's coming in first in our community. He is first. He went first. He went to the cross for us. John 3.16, Romans 5.8, 1 John 4.19. He went first. So he is worthy. He and he alone is worthy to come in first place in our hearts. And Redeemer family, that's where we are. That's what we're talking about. Is he first in our hearts or is something else first in our hearts? And to diagnose that, we just talk about money and finances. We listen to Jesus talk about money and possessions. Because he talked about it so much. Actually talked about it more than heaven and he talked about it more than hell. Money and possessions. Now, in the context of Matthew 6 that we just read, this quote by C.S. Lewis is very, very helpful. Lewis comes along and he says, listen, so what you got to do then, you got to aim at heaven and you'll get earth just thrown in. But if you aim at earth, you'll get neither. So the idea is that first things do have to come first. If we were to take our lives, and if we were to take secondary things like friendship, Secondary things like children, secondary things like relationships, secondary things like owning a house, secondary things like a clothes and the cars. And if we put that in the middle of our lives, there's no guarantee we'll ever get to the first thing. What's actually going on there is our, our lives, they actually take on a shape. They actually take on these contours to where we're not properly balanced. because We haven't put the most important thing in first. So we talk about money and possessions, but we're not concerned for money and possessions. We're concerned for our hearts. Money and possessions is a lens then by which we can see our hearts. So what we do with money and possessions exposes what is first in our lives. That's where we are this afternoon. So let's do this. Let's just have a look at Matthew chapter 6. If you have a Bible, it'd be very helpful if you could have that open. Um, maybe you could even open up an app on your phone or you could just Google Matthew chapter 6. I just want to look at this chapter of Scripture with you and I just want us to kind of see what's here. And I want to try to just put up and propose three major truths for us from this chapter of Scripture. Being concerned for our hearts, we begin with Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. You just look at it right there. Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Let's just ask some questions as we go through this. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 through 4. What do we see? What we see here, we see Jesus opens up a chapter of teaching. It's part of what we call the Sermon on the Mount. 
And Jesus begins by teaching on secret righteousness. So at the very outset of the chapter, he's saying there's ways to be seen to be a good person by doing things outwardly, right? It'd be the equivalent to kind of like walking out to the high street here and just like shouting out, hey, I'm about to go back inside and pray, you know, and then go back inside and pray. The equivalent of like walking out to the high street and just saying, Father in heaven, I praise you that I'm not like all these other people around me. What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? Here's Jesus. He's gathering up his followers. He's like, listen, I want you to pay attention to something. I want you to pay attention to secret righteousness. And then notice what else you see in these first four verses. He has this emphasis on receiving rewards from your Father in heaven. You see that? Jesus is concerned for this. He says, listen, there's a way to live your life where you won't be rewarded right now by the praise of the people around you. You can live your life by what happens in your heart where your heavenly Father can actually bring you out into the open of heaven and he'll publicly reward you one day. These are the words of Jesus. And it's the focus on the secret. So it's not like, hey, I never gave any money to church, but hey, now I give. It's, no, we don't want that. We don't want that. That's, that's not what we're after. That's not what this is about. It's to focus on the secret. This is like what happens between you and God. Are you talking to God about stuff? Or are you kind of walking around your spiritual life like with some, some aspects closed off to God? That's what he's talking about. Look at verses 5 to 15 then. So the next thing we see is he's teaching on prayer and this focus. He's teaching on prayer in secret. And I love this. In these verses, you see this emphasis on the Father knowing what we need. So he begins by saying, listen, focus on the secret place. Focus on your heart before God. Then he moves from there and he says, listen, so when you pray, keep that in mind as well. This is about who you really are. So Jesus says it actually doesn't matter what other people think about you. Other people think you're righteous or people, other people think you're unrighteous. It does not matter. Jesus is saying, I'm concerned for the secret place. Your Father is going to reward what happens in the secret place. And it's an emphasis there on the Father knowing what we need. And I love this. Jesus goes all the way to make a, make a cause and effect relationship between our prayer life. He actually gives us a tremendous amount of responsibility when you think about it, saying, if you do this, then certain things will happen. It's tied most clearly to if we're forgiving other people or if we're holding grudges. But even that's the secret place. So then look at verses 16 to 18. He's teaching on fasting. And it's no surprise then. He's teaching on the secret place. Emphasis on the Father rewarding what is done in secret. Then you go ahead to verses 19 to 21. You see Jesus teaching on storing up treasure in heaven and not storing up treasures on earth. But it's just flowing. It's all in context together. Here, Jesus has an emphasis on the security of heavenly storage and the vulnerability of earthly storage. That's what he does. He's saying, listen, you have treasure. There's a risky place you can keep that treasure. There's a secure place you can keep that treasure. I love this. Jesus doesn't have a problem with treasure. And he has a problem with foolishness, with people that aren't smart with the treasure that he gives to them. I don't have a problem with treasure. I don't have a problem with people making six, seven figures. I don't have a problem with it. He's just trying to help lead people 
think about where you could put this. There's a vulnerable place to keep it, and there's a safe place to keep it. And he goes on, he goes so far, you look there at the end in verse 21, he says, our treasure determines our love. I don't typically think about it like that, though. But Jesus has a way of showing us a new idea. Our treasures determine our loves. So according to Jesus, if you say you really care about something, a really good thing you could do is start investing in it financially and just see how your heart grows affection and connection to it. Treasure leads, heart follows, according to Jesus. You can see it right there. Look at it and see it for yourself. Like, do not hear that from me. Like, see that in the Word. So then, in verses 22 to 23, Jesus is teaching on the eye of the soul. And it's an emphasis, like he's clarifying the ideas around it by bringing this up. It's an emphasis on on everything going well or poorly based on what comes first. The eye is like the ability to get things in. Jesus says if that first thing goes well, everything else follows. That first thing goes poorly, you're going to struggle. So he continues in verse 24, teaching on the necessity of having one master. An emphasis on devotion. According to Jesus in, in Matthew 6, verse 24, God and money can function as gods in our lives. It's helpful to me that Jesus clarifies that you can serve two, you just can't serve two masters. Jesus says you can, you can have many like things that are important in your life, but, but you can only handle one master. That's really helpful for me. He, he's saying, listen, like you're going to have one master, and then you can have all kinds of other things that are important to you, but you're going to have one master. He's saying to us, like, you get one master, and you're going to have to figure out, like, who's going to be that master? You can have friendships. You can have money. You can have possessions. You can have relationships. You can have friendships. You're going to have one master. Who's that master going to be? So then, verses 25 to 32, just look at this. He's teaching on worry and anxiety that's rooted in a devotion to money. You see this? It's like very popular, very helpful section of Scripture, talking about worry, talking about our anxieties, talking about our concerns. And Jesus, Jesus makes a connection for us. He's saying a lot of our worry, a lot of our anxiety is rooted in a devotion to money instead of a devotion to God. And that doesn't mean you can't read this section of Scripture and benefit from it. I certainly have, like, all the time. But it's important to be able to see these verses in their broader context. He's teaching about devotion to either God or money. He digs down to the heart level of beliefs and reasons of his people. He even uses this word that James read for us, you little faith. He says, people that walk around like this, this is an issue of belief and unbelief. He says, you little faith. Then he comes into verse 33. Jesus is teaching on what it is to seek first. I want you to see it again in the text. Like rewards are clearly implied throughout the whole chapter. He literally begins with it and he ends with it as well. And Jesus says all these things will be added to you as well. Charles Spurgeon comes along and he picks up words from C.S. Lewis. He kind of says it in his own way. Spurgeon says this, 
to promote the reign of Christ and to practice righteousness are but one object and may be the one aim of our lives. Let us spend life on the one thing and it will be well spent. As for the 20 secondary objects, they also will be ours if we pursue the one thing only. Think about what you see in Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Be devoted to God and His righteousness is what Jesus says. This focuses primarily on obeying Him, but this extends to everything else that our lives touch. Especially those places we look for security, we look for safety, and we look for beauty. And this is one of those words that applies to all of us. It applies to those of us here in the room that are spenders. It applies to those of us here in the room that are savers. It applies to those of us in the room that feel like we have loads of money. And it applies to those of us in the room that feel like we don't have enough money. Money can be an idol for all of us. Money can come in first even if we don't have a lot of it. A lot of us feel like we got more bills than money to pay them, yeah? But money can come in first no matter how much of it we have or we don't have. We can make an idol out of this. The rich man can make an idol out of his money by focusing on it, thinking about it, and running every decision through the lens of his bank account. And yet the poor man can do just the same job, thinking about money, envying money, envying people with money, and banking all of his or her problems and solutions on having more money. This is for all of us. This isn't even about money. This is about our hearts. Where do these hearts go? Where do we crave security? And listen, uh, pastorally, I meant to say this earlier and I've been trying to remember it. I'm not talking to you and I just remembered it, so let me go on and say it right now. Um, listen, if, if, this, if you even knew, like, man, I don't know if I'm going to turn up at church today. Like, I kind of think we're going to be talking about money and possessions and you came especially, like, knowing that, bless you. Seriously, I see you in that. Like, I'm not saying everyone that was here was dipping out on us, you know what I mean? It's a bank holiday weekend, anything's possible. But for those of you here, even knowing like, man, we're going to talk about this. This is going to be a little uncomfortable, maybe. Maybe it's uncomfortable because it's like such a big thing for us. Good on you for being here. I think even there like demonstrates God's grace at work in your life. This word from Jesus, like it is uncomfortable, but it is not unclear. Our hearts show us what's important, and we can learn by just chasing the receipts. So Jesus says, seek first. And just think about it. Both the saver and the spender to seek first. Think about how this applies to us around the room. Jesus addresses the saver, the person like devoted to money, and that devotion shows up in saving money, saving money, saving money. Well, Jesus draws attention to the bird's illustration. And Jesus says, listen, look, these birds, they don't waste their life saving, and they're fine. I got the birds, and you're more important than birds. So you don't have to be devoted to money by saving money all the time. A few of us starting to feel good on that one, like, man, yeah, he got him, didn't he? Yep, here he comes for the rest of us. He addresses the spender as well. He addresses those of us carrying the debt on the credit cards. He says, look, just think about those wildflowers, though. They, they don't spend money on any clothes. They're gorgeous. 
They're not running around spinning, toiling, dialing it up, searching the sail rack. No, they're, they're fine. They're, they're fine. He tells both of them, don't devote yourself to money. Devote yourself to God. And let God be the primary source of your security. Let God be the primary source of your beauty. And you notice that? For the, the savers in the room, like that devotion of money might have to do with security, but for the spenders in the room, that devotion of money might have to do with beauty. Trying to cover something up or trying to dress something up. Some of us are actually anxious about money. We don't have to be. We can apply this principle to every dimension of our lives, right? So just to kind of come off of it for a minute, think about it. You apply this to your relationships. Don't run around like constantly like seeking relationships or constantly avoiding relationships. Just put God first. And let those relationships come along. Applies with the stuff we have, the places we want to go, the things we want to see. It goes on and on and on. So then our anxiety, it actually thinks too little about God. When we worry, and I know, listen, I know, we just, we just spent weeks in Job and life of the emotions. I'm not, not coming down hard on you. When that anxiety pings and when that worry begins, it is a way of thinking too little of God. Not believing that God's got me. God's going to take care of me. God's going to clothe me better than the lilies of the field. God's going to provide for me better than birds that are not busy all day. The good life is walking with God, with God at the center, and allowing God to provide things around us. And that's Matthew 6. And where do we go with this? I just want to give us a few foundational principles as a new faith family, new church community. And we just do six or seven minutes right here, and we're going to take the Lord's Supper. Can we do that? You got to think like we just got our start in September. We're just trying to figure out how to grow up into the Lord and everything he wants for us and everything he has for us. There's so much to say here. We can't say everything there is about stewardship. We can't say everything there is about generosity. We'll get to this in our life together. How about three foundational principles for us as a faith family so we can figure out where to go? Let's talk about ownership. Let's talk about stewardship. And let's talk about worship. I made those rhyme. Let's talk about ownership. God owns everything. God owns absolutely everything. In the beginning, before there was anyone or anything, there was God. And God created people. God created the created world. And God invites us into relationship with himself. But when you think about ownership, you have to start here. Scripture infers ownership to God from creation. Some verses, Psalm chapter 95, verse 5. The sea is his, for he made it. The Bible has these, this language. Think about this. Psalm 89, verse 11. The heavens are yours. The earth is yours. The world and all that is in it is yours because you founded it. Psalm 24, verse 11. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and all those who dwell in it. So think about this with me. God owns all things absolutely. This means that anything we're holding, we're holding then as stewards on God's behalf. But God owns all things absolutely. Therefore, everything exists for the glory of God. The ultimate purpose of God in creation was and always is to display His glory. 
So everything that he made, everything that exists is ultimately to lead us to the glory of God. Think about Numbers 14, 21. God's intention is to fill the earth with his glory. Certain is his very existence. That word from Habakkuk, right? God says, my desire is this. I want to fill the earth with my glory as the water covers the bottom of the ocean. This is what God's about. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 12. Rebellious creatures are brought back to God for this purpose, to live to the praise of his glory. So God owns all things absolutely. Everything then exists for God's glory. And this means that we are dependent on God as our creator for everything. And think about this. This has to do with how we think about money and possessions down to the bottom. If we are creatures, then we are utterly, 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 we are utterly dependent. Cups in my pocket. Cups in my pocket. We are utterly dependent on our creator for everything. Think about it. We are weaker than the weakest baby apart from him. Because apart from him, we will fly away into nothingness. We are dependent on this God because he is the creator and he is the owner of everything absolutely. So every breath we take, every calorie calorie we ingest, every energy that we expend, every good intention that we fulfill, all of this, all of this, he is worthy of it all. He is the owner. He is the outright owner on it all. So we can't glorify God as our all-sufficient creator and sustainer. If we're running around holding on to stuff like this belongs to us. You see this? Ownership. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 34, then we can see this. So he's coming along with all of this in view, and he's like, look, so you only got one master. And we hear that in the moment. Like we're right up on it. It's like, this is mine. He's like, no, not really. So let's talk. You know, he's like, you only get one leader. Who's it going to be? And you think about this in the context of creation, it just adds so much flavor to it. Well, of course then, we're not going to run around to God like, well, this is mine and this is mine, but that belongs to you. How absurd. No, no, no. We, We think about ownership. God owns it all. And then the problem then with money and possessions goes like this. It's like C.S. Lewis once said, prosperity knits a man to this world. He feels like he's finding his place in it. All the while, it's finding its place in him. See that? So which is it? Do we own money or does money own us? Do we have possessions around this room as a church family or do possessions have us? What comes first? That's what Jesus is talking about. Ownership. God owns it all, outright and absolutely. Second thing then is stewardship. If God's the owner then, well, God entrusts a portion of his creation to our care. As the outright and absolute owner of all things, he then does this, and it's amazing. He allows his image bearers, you and me, to hold some of his stuff for a season. What's amazing about that concept is you think about it. Like you're born into this world, into a specific family, and what we have, it literally comes to us by means that we're not even working on for most of the years of our early life. But it just comes to us that we have a name. It just comes to us that we have a home. It just comes to us that we have, I don't know, like a shirt and a nappy to wear and maybe a toy to ball to play with or something. But he's he's literally entrusting his creation to us progressively over time. This is what he does. And in the end, we die 
were buried in a box. It's put in the ground, and the possessions you just get handed over to somebody else. How encouraging. No, but that starts to make sense then. We can start to see everything we have is a stewardship issue. Okay, he owns it all outright and absolutely. What do I got? I got this. I wish it was more. Yeah, but it's this. Other people saying, well, I got this. It's more than they got. I still wish I had more. Yeah, it's this. He entrusts a portion of his creation to us for our care. He's the giver of all. Romans eleven thirty six. 36, for from him and through him and to him are all things. All the earth is the Lord's. Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, all those who dwell inside of it. 1 Chronicles 29, 11. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. You get it all in heaven. You get it all on earth. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. You're exalted above all. Every good thing, you Christian, every good thing you have comes from God. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. What, what do you have that you did not receive? What is it about our lives? Like, I, I, I was just kind of came out of the womb with this one. No, you didn't. Like, God gave that to you. If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? James 1.17, every, every good gift and every perfect gift is coming from above, from the Father of lights, in whom there's no shifting, there's no shadow, there's no hint of that at all. We have been given all things in Christ. Romans chapter 8, verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with the son graciously give to us anything else that we need? That's beautiful and that's comforting. So here's like some honest and some questions that could feel a bit hard. So when it comes to the way we look at our money and our possessions, what are we doing? When it comes to our money and our possessions, are we just simply tipping the hat to God, trying to pay some God tax to get him off our back or get him on our side so we can just get on doing whatever we want? That's not how stewards look at it. What is, what is stewardship? Stewardship then is getting to that place where we take all the money, all the possessions, all the influence that we have, and we lay it down at the feet of our God, and we say, God, you own all of this. What do you want me to do with it? What a steward does. He's the owner. We don't own this stuff. Our job is to steward it. Now listen, before the anxiety gets too tight in the room, like hear me, we are not raising money as a church. Frankly, we don't need your money. Now, churches like this do run on the financial generosity of people that God inspires in their hearts to be a part of the story. But in a very real way, we don't need it. This isn't a power play. This isn't like trying to get you to come off some cash. It's not that. In fact, if it would help your heart, take these principles and apply them somewhere else. Apply, the, apply this in another ministry or another organization where Jesus comes first and they're building community and they're trying to care for people and look after people. You don't have to apply it here. Well, you do need to apply this. This is what's best for your life because it's what's best for your heart. As a pastor of this church, I do want you to see these truths, but not for my benefit, not for the benefit of this church or this community necessarily. We want this for you. 
Further to the point then, if someone were to come up and say, listen, just somebody tell me what the operating budget on this thing is for the next two or three years. I got loads of money. I got so much money, I won't even notice if it's gone. I'll just fleece a check today and we'll go in and fund this church for the next few years, maybe buy a building while we're at it. If that happened, we would still teach about this because the issue wouldn't go away for our hearts. With a full operating budget and a place to meet every week, our hearts would still be looking for things to clamp onto that's not God, who's not worthy. He's worthy of all of us. So this isn't about like, oh, just making a push for cash. This isn't that. This is our hearts. Does He have our hearts? Or does something else have our hearts? He is worthy to have every bit of our hearts. He owns it all. We are but stewards for a season, and we're gone. It's no worry then. It's no wonder then. Jesus comes along telling his people, listen, you're not here forever. So quit piling all of this stuff up around here. Why don't you start investing this into the project of righteousness? Why don't you start investing this then into the project of the mission? Why don't you start funneling these resources into the kingdom? And amazingly, he would have been just on that. But he goes even further to say, and your father is going to reward you accordingly one day. How amazing. What a comfort for those of us around this room who don't have much money to give, but we have our very lives. We can put on the table and we can say, God, you can spend this however you want. Yeah, the father will reward that publicly in heaven one day forever. What an opportunity for those of us who have lots of money and lots of material possessions to put it all on the table and to tell our God in heaven, you, according to your word, this is all of yours. I'm not sure why you've entrusted it to my care, but what do you want me to do with this? And hearing from him, just channel it away. Knowing you're going to die, somebody's going to put you in a box and you don't get to take any of this with you. It's not about raising money. It's not about getting something from anybody around the room. This is about God getting our hearts. And according to Jesus then, our money, what we do with money and possessions, it has a way, not just of showing what's important, but of determining what's important in our lives. But according to Jesus, we can actually start investing in the project of righteousness, even though we don't care about it a lot, And Jesus says, your cares are going to follow that treasure there. You can start investing money in this church or in another church or another ministry. You might not care about as much as you'd like, and you can watch. As your treasure goes into it, you can watch. Your heart's going to come following after. You can start investing You can start investing into resources to take the gospel to people in other parts of the world that do not have it. You might not like them. You might actually hate them. You start investing financially in it and watch your heart come soaring behind it. This is about our hearts. It's about our hearts. I need to to wrap this up. Start preaching. So here we go. Final bit about worship. So if that's ownership and that's stewardship, let's land it with worship. God moves His people to generosity by being generous to them first. We even understand the gospel in terms of generosity. Jesus was rich, but He became poor. He gave Himself so we could receive. And we who were poor, we can become rich. 
And we who didn't have anything to give, we can now become people that give away our very lives. It's amazing. Generosity is a given for those who have experienced the generosity of God. If He's the owner, and if we're stewards, and if we've experienced generosity from Him, it's a given. Generosity will show up in our lives as we come to understand and express the gospel. The concept of generosity is a biblical concept. The scriptures talk about it. I'm looking at a whole list that's like this long that I'll give to you some other time because I need to keep going with this. But when it comes to being generous, this is what our scared hearts do. And I'm not beating up on you. I'm not being rough with you. I'm just, I know what this is like because I know, I know what the word says. And I'm reading it. I don't know if I want to go there. I don't know if I want to go all in on this. I don't know if I'm really comfortable with him coming first. In a moment like this, our hearts that might be really attached to money and possessions as a form of security, we start asking questions like this. All right, then what's the number? And the thing is, I love what I get to say next. I can't tell you. I can't tell you. I can tell you in the Old Testament, God was trying to teach His people how to worship Him. And God gave them a rule to begin with. And that rule was 10%. And it wasn't just the 10%, it was actually a 10% off the top. And you see this in the story of Cain and Abel. When they come in, one gave off the top, one gave off the leftovers. God had a way of knowing what was going on there, and God dealt accordingly. That's this principle that you see going throughout the Old Testament. Unless some of us make a rule out of this thing and want to avoid that moment where we don't have to lay it all before the Lord and say, this is yours, what do you want me to do? Jesus comes along in the New Testament. and Jesus is walking around in the Gospels. In the Gospel of Luke, He talks to five people about their finances. And you take just three of those conversations and they go like this. He talks to one person about money and possessions and He, said, he tells that person, you need to go away and you need to give 10% of everything you have to God. Jesus talks to the second person about money and possessions. He tells that person, you need to go away. You need to give 50%, 5-0% to God. And he talks to a third person. He says, you need to go away. You need to give 100%, like one double O. You need to go give all of that. That's what it requires of you. And here's the beautiful thing. I can't tell you it's got to be this or it's got to be that. Jesus is the one walking around, sees a widow that doesn't have much to her name, and she comes off two mites and puts that in the box. Jesus is the one huddling up his followers and saying, that right there was the most generous offering in the house today. He sets the terms because he knew what that cost her in her heart and in her in a relationship with the Father. So we're free. We're free around this room. And we're free to go to the Father and to say, you are the owner of all of this. You have entrusted this to me to be a steward. I look in your word, I see 10% is this baseline. Then I hear Jesus saying 10, 50, 100. So what's it gonna be for me? You hear from the Father and you as a steward, you get to walk this out in generous worship how you be about the project of righteousness, how you be about the building up of the church, how you be about the taking of the gospel to the nations by being obedient to do whatever he says do. The win for me as a pastor in this talk 
is not you giving blank amount of money or even giving any money at all. The win is you going home and taking some time to worship God in this way. God, you're the owner. I'm the steward. You tell me what worship looks like and where I need to extend it, and I'll be faithful to that. That is the win. That's the win for your leaders at Redeemer. That's all we're trying to do in this season. Because this isn't about money. This is about our hearts. So do we have money, or does money have us? Now listen, I need to close. Gil, come on up here. Let's get ready to take the supper. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 8 and 9 is where we see the beautiful truth. Paul says, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnest of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. So think about it. God desires for his people to be generous. And God doesn't hide himself from you and just expect for you to figure it out. No, what God does is God transforms the standard through the cross. God takes what's been 10% and people are hanging on to and treating as 10%. And God takes that to the cross. And whenever we ask, like, man, what, what is the standard? Fine, like, I'll, we'll do it. Like, all right, I'll, I'll pay the God tax. It's not a God tax. It's about us considering how has he been generous to us? Did he give us just enough? Or did he give us more than we need? How does this work? Did he give us his leftovers? Did he just find the leftover bits of grace and mercy and love and find a way to give you a little edge of that? No. He's first. And he went first. And he's worthy to come in first place. So he's the owner. We're the stewards. We have an opportunity. The opportunity is worship. The opportunity is laying everything we have. And more than the money, our time, our relationships, our opportunities, places to get involved, new places to move, lay that all before God. Say, this is yours. What do you want me to do next? What an opportunity. What a privilege. Motivated by the redemption that he has already shown to us. So friend, if I could just encourage you in your hearts when it comes to this. Malachi chapter 3 says, the Lord says, put me to the test and see if I won't bless you. Some of us don't have space to receive the more blessing from God in our lives because we have not put him first. Because we're walking around lives with clenched up fists. And we're giving a shoulder to him in this portion of our lives. What if you open up to God and see the investment he makes in you in this life or the life to come? For some of us, the blessing will be that money just doesn't have a hold on us anymore. We quit worrying about money. We quit being anxious about money. 